it tickles me. It and that and the way that I feel giggly and possible mm. and and loved is like I felt it now. So now what hap- what that means is that if I am in a situation that doesn't feel like that, I know that that feeling is possible. Mm. It's it's whatever the only grace you can have is the grace you can imagine. And the grace you can imagine is real grace. Hey, 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 friends. Welcome to the Naked Podcast. I'm your host, Martisa Williams. In this space, we'll explore a whole range of practices for our individual and collective freedom. My entire life has been spent soaking up practice after modality, after protocol to free my body and soul. Join me in conversations with the world's foremost thought leaders on topics ranging from health to sex to spirituality to justice. So, are you ready to get naked with me? Well, let's talk about it. Welcome to the first episode of the Naked Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, Today's episode is going to be really, really bomb. Um, We're talking to Ebony Janice Moore, who is a womanist scholar, author, and activist doing community organizing work, most specifically around Black women's body ownership as a, a justice issue, Black women's access to ease, joy, and play, and hip hop as a tool for socio-political and spiritual religious movement making. She has a BA in cultural anthropology and political science and a master's of arts in social change with a concentration in spiritual leadership, womanist theology, and racial justice. She's the founder of Black Girl Mixtape, a multi-platform safe think space centering the intellectual authority of Black women in the form of an lecture series, a podcast, and online learning institute led by Black women scholars. She currently is a professor of dialogue, mindfulness, and women and gender studies. What I love about Ebony Janice is that although she 110% centers um, black women's um, black women's issues in her work, she is always quick to say that like anyone can benefit from her casual brilliance, and that's really what it is. She has just a brilliant, brilliant individual, someone that I have learned a lot from. And, um, and so in this episode, we're going to talk about the hierarchy of eldership, um, Ebony Janice's live on the audacity of rightness in the face of whiteness, being accountable for how you perpetuate oppressive systems, how white supremacy devalues all of us, decolonizing intellect and authority, a price for impo- the price for imposter syndrome, the credibility of ancestral knowledge, black and white revolutionary relationships, black freedom not being bound in the freedom of white people, white ancestral work, dreaming ourselves free, the burden of white supremacy on black women, 
Ebony Janice is dreaming of love and the archetype of the strong black woman. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Ebony Janice's meditation teacher, Chrissy Jones, um, how black women need to be spoiled. And then healing ourselves with visualization and then kind of ending it off with what is lighting her up right now. So buckle up. This is a damn good episode. I'm super excited to kind of kick off the podcast with this. Um, It's going to be damn good. Uh, Just so you know, there is a little bit of um, kind of choppy sound in there, but it's completely, um, you can completely hear it. It's totally fine. Um, I just need to tell you that for my own perfectionism shit. But anyway, uh, buckle up, enjoy the show. I'm so grateful that you're here. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. I'm happy to be here. So happy that you're here. I'm like so stoked that I get to talk to you and have this conversation because you school me every day and there's so many things that I, I want to pull from you. So I'm super happy that you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. This is dope. I'm excited. Cool. Cool. So my first question that I ask all my guests is what made you you? Mm-hmm. My grandmother and her six daughters, for sure. My grandma um, raised six girls by herself when my grandfather transitioned, when my mom was a little girl. And um, so growing up with basically seven mothers and, you know, to a certain extent, feels like how I came into this work as a a freedom fighter and as a womanist. And um, I start with my grandmother and then her daughters, you know, this isn't to minimize, of course, the impact of my mother on my life, but my grandmother and then her daughters, because there is this hierarchy of eldership, which likely exists in a lot of black families. Mm-hmm. It's like the matriarch grandma basically is creating a story for who it is that we will be. And then, um, And then, so the rest of the daughters are just like, the daughters are just participating in basically what grandma said, and then we become whatever that is. And so when I think about my grandmother creating this um, life for us, you know, this, uh, what so many of our our morals and our values and our ethics look like. And, and the fact that even as much as so much of my own theological truth has um, shifted over the years, and even as so much of my own um, political praxis has shifted over the years, the very basic foundation of my ethics, of my praxis, of my theory of, you know, that came from my grandmother. So yeah, my grandmother and her six daughters is what made me me. I would not be without them. It's so funny. I just recorded um, like an intro podcast to just like ask my own self these questions for everyone. And I literally answered it the exact way, same way that like I was raised by a single mom and my aunt and my grandmother and my Mm -hmm. older cousin. And that was like, that's like the foundation of all of what my understanding of being black and my understanding of being a woman and all of my politics kind of stack on top of that. So we definitely. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's real. No, I, I, I talk about the hierarchy of eldership, which I think it might be language that I, that I came to 
Um, so I can't particularly cite that because it feels like something that came to me. But the hierarchy of eldership, if you think about institution, like family is an institution and inside of institutions, there's a certain way that things exist. The ways that, like if we were inside the institution of like your work, Mm-hmm. There is the CEO, there is, you know, whoever is creating policy. And then that trickles down to, and I say down because that just tends to be the way it, it goes down line, but that'll trickle down to like, even people who are considered the least of these in this work, the janitor and the people working in the cafeteria, they are getting their story from from whoever is at the top creating. So, I, so the hierarchy, you know, passes down who it is that we are, what we value, what we believe, who we're going to, how we're going to do it, how we speak, you know, how we show up, what is the culture of this space? And so family being an institution is very real as well, because we have culture, we have like our own social understandings inside of this space. We have rules, we have things that we value, we have things that are absolutely not acceptable inside of this institution. Mm -hmm. And so my grandmother like in, in this institution, it literally is a hierarchy. It goes from the oldest down to the very youngest. And the power that you hold is literally in that line. Like the oldest has the most power. <laughs> the youngest is like just a cute little thing. We don't even know if we've been talking about power as it pertains <laughs> to the babies. And the only way to get out of line inside that hierarchy, and this is for most families, but particularly for my family, for, for most Black families specifically, but particularly for my family, is that you either rebel if you want to get out of line, like if you want to have your voice heard and it, and you're not next in line to be heard right? and or you have some social or um, financial um, advantage over the rest of the group. And so if you got more money or more access or, you know, like some social standing that that is, but specifically the kind of social standing that the family agrees with, right? Because I could be famous for twerking it, you know, twerking (laughs) down the street, you know, on a regular basis. Like people could know me very well. Oh, she be twerking. We love to see her twerk. (laughs) And if the institution has not agreed that that is something that they find valuable, that won't get me more power. But if the institution agrees that me becoming a successful orator is something that they find of value, that will get me out of, you know, that, that line as well. But yeah, I just, I want to say all those words because I think that there are, there is value in thinking about like the hierarchy of eldership within your own family or, or it may not be eldership. It may be a hierarchy of money. Whereas mm-hmm. like in your family, it might be, it might not be about grandma said, it might be about uncle Jimmy got the most money. So he pretty much, you know, creates our values or, or whatever, whatever, whatever. So yeah, but the hierarchy is real inside institution of family. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting too, thinking about like the power dynamics, not only just like in families, but thinking about institutions, um, I'm still like mulling over and processing your recent um, uh, live on your Instagram, the audacity of uh, rightness in the face of whiteness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I like was listening to it and it's funny because it's connecting for me in like really people need to be interrogating what they've understood as right and who that was passed down from over the years. Um, So I'm gonna encourage everyone to go and listen to Ebony Janice's um, live on her her Instagram page. Um, But can you talk more about this whole concept of 
the audacity of whiteness, whiteness in the face of whiteness, specifically how it connects to intellect and authority and how intellect is like colonized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's let I think people are lazy and I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners, but I just think you're lazy. So you very likely won't do the work to go find this live. Maybe you will, but for the most part, people don't. So to sum it up, basically what I was saying is um, I posted about something on my Instagram and um, I said it with a period at the end of the sentence. This is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, period. And this white woman came into my space and said, um, you sound very condescending and I don't like that. And I'm like, I, I really thought about that. I thought, hmm, condescending. Condescending or right? Because what I said is a fact. And not my opinion, even at all. It wasn't even a fact. It wasn't even an opinion-based discussion. It was a fact. And it felt uncomfortable for her. And so I had to interrogate, why does this feel uncomfortable for her? Oh, oh it's the audacity of me being right in, in the face of whiteness, which is um, in its own conception, always right. So what whiteness needs me to do, and, and this, isn't, this isn't all white people, this is whiteness as a concept and the ways that it impacts people who happen to be white, their being, is that if you are used to, even if you're wrong, even if you're learning something new, you need it to come to you in a way that feels good to you. And so when somebody says something, you need some ellipses, some dot, dot, dot. Maybe there's something else coming after this. But when somebody says something, particularly a black woman says something and says period, and then, and then that has a standard that has certain boundaries that you just can't fathom that those boundaries mean you too. You are on the other side of this boundary as well. So some thinking, thinking about that, you know, that night, like this idea of condescension, when in reality, I was just saying that, that when you come into my space, you need to be willing to come and just sit, sit with learning this is if this is your first time and or if you're not more qualified to lead this conversation and this this discussion than me and we're talking about race so as a white person period never you're never going to be more qualified to have this conversation than me but especially not as a scholar you know i'm both a black woman and a scholar on this topic so you are not going to out out know me on this topic so what would be wisdom is to come and just listen that's it that's all I was saying in that particular post. And, and for me to say that, that sounded condescending to her. What, what, again, what I'm saying, what I understood once I really interrogated that for myself, like, what does this condescension, what is that really about? It's about the fact that I wouldn't say it nice to her, that mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, you know, that I wouldn't give her permission to walk up and down my comment section and do what she wants to do. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't feel that it's necessary. And it's not from a place of condescension. It's really from a place of I'm right. And that's the end of this conversation. You would not go into Beyonce Giselle Carter's Instagram comment section and tell her how to sing uh, the an A note. You wouldn't tell her how to hit a particular run. You wouldn't tell her what vibrato is. You wouldn't do it. 
I mean, people probably try it, but you just wouldn't do it. It sounds, it sounds uh, ridiculous to even think about trying to school Beyonce on how to sing. So very similarly, the audacity to come into a Black woman's comment section, end of sentence, to come into a Black woman who also happens to be a scholar comment section um, and tell her anything on this particular topic that you are not more, my ancestors, my lived experience, my education makes me more qualified to have this conversation. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have a discussion. If you came here to try to get me told, that's not what's going to happen here. And any tension that comes up for you is because you are used to having it said nice to you. You're used to being able to do and say whatever it is that you want to do and say. And anytime you come up against somebody, particularly a Black woman that's telling you it's not going to happen over here, that feels uncomfortable. And so for me, I feel like the work to be done is to sit with that discomfort and ask yourself, why do I feel uncomfortable with this, with this Black woman in the sentence? telling me something that she clearly knows more about than me. On a whole other level, why do I feel uncomfortable with this Black woman who this is her work, <laughs> her lived experience, her ancestral experience, right? Telling me no, telling me to just sit with it and relax for a little bit. And very often what you might come up with is that, you know, racism. <laughs> that, that'll probably be it. And that doesn't feel good. You don't, Nobody wants to be like, oh, I'm racist. That's not fun. I know it's not fun because as I realized myself in, a past li- in my past life as homophobic and having to name that, that's not fun. That don't feel good. As I realized myself as ableist on an ongoing basis, having to undo my ableism, that's not fun. That doesn't feel good. But I never go into my friends who have been disabled. I never go into their comment section and tell them, I don't care about this this ain't right. This don't make me feel good. No, I just sit with it. I experience the discomfort. And then I begin to do the work of like, okay, I don't like feeling like that. I can't imagine how that's making them feel. What can I do to not duplicate that for either of us ever again? Right? How can I be better? Um, But white supremacy means that you don't ever have to really interrogate that. And, um, but over here in Ebony Janice land, we don't really care. (laughs) I, So when you were saying that on live, I was thinking a lot about how that woman is not willing to watch you take up space in the way that you're willing to take up space. For sure. You know? And so it had me thinking a lot about like the space that I take up. Mm -hmm. And this brings me to my like last question on your list was about um, how you make me uncomfortable in this Mm -hmm. In your, um, in that same live, you were talking about this woman on Instagram who she was like a black woman being happy. And you were like, I had to like work through those feelings. And I was realizing that there is an, I feel uncomfortable looking through your Instagram. Mm. <laughs> and the reason- Come on, sis, what is it? <laughs> what is it, girl? The reason for me is because you're willing to take up space in a way that I have suppressed within myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You are willing to stand in your power in a way that makes me like Mm -hmm. clutch my pearls Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so it's so funny because it's interesting to watch people get triggered because you're always like, oh, you're triggered because you're unhealed. You're Mm -hmm. triggered because this thing is like poking at a point in you that says, I'm not good enough or I'm whatever the story may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to, it was funny because even when you you say like, 
you like people can benefit from your casual brilliance. I like mm. clutch my pearls. I'm mm-hmm. like, because who like I it comes to me is like who am I to feel mm-hmm. like I get to have casual brilliance? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to like put that out there in the ether because it was just being in relationship with you just on the level of Instagram mm-hmm. makes me question my myself and not in a bad way in the best way i'd be questioning myself too to be honest that's (laughs) that's how we got here um so the story that you're talking about is there's this girl that i used to that i was not following on social media but i would see her in my timeline she was like kind of going viral people were posting her you know dancing she's thick she's beautiful she's all these things and just happy you know just is just this happy girl and that's not the language that I had for it at the time but that's what it was for sure and I and I would just feel some kind of way when she would show up in my timeline I'd be like okay girl sit down that's cute okay we got it you're cute and then then I was like why am I feeling some kind of way about this woman right. just living her life like it's golden and so I started following her and as I started following her, I realized what it is, is I'm jealous. This is absolutely jealousy. And what is, what I'm jealous of is that she's happy and that she's free and I'm not. And that's right. just the fact. And so I started following her to really, like, I just wanted to explore, like, what is happening for her? What is she doing? What is the work she's doing that I'm not doing? And that really was the beginning of my mindfulness journey. And so I bring that into this conversation, particularly about my own work that I'm doing now that feels for some people, it feels a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, like, like you just acknowledged and even for white people, right. It feels a little uncomfortable because it's, it's like, how can you say that? How did you get to that point where you feel like audacious enough to say that again, the audacity of rightness, you know what I'm saying? Like you feel audacious enough to say that. And what I have done is I've really interrogated how white supremacy um, really devalues who we are, all of us, mm-hmm. white people, black people, everybody is devalued by white supremacy. To, to the, like, let's think about how it devalues white people in, this, in the context of this conversation. This woman is, is so um, enraged at me having the audacity to be right, to be right, that she couldn't come into my space and experience the benefit of my knowledge because she had to be centered, she had to be right. Right. So she loses on the potential of great learning and, and relationship and community. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There, I, I'm very willing to be in community with her, but she loses on that because white supremacy has created a narrative for her that she has to be right. So she can't learn. She can't grow. She can't evolve in my space because she wouldn't do what she want to do. And that's not going to happen over here. So that's number one. But it devalues us, particularly as Black women, because we are constantly dealing with imposter syndrome. Mm. Who am I to think that I'm smart enough, good enough, brilliant enough? Which is mm-hmm. why I come up with this, um, this theory that is rooted in the idea of my ancestors, my lived experience, and my education. So talking about decolonizing intellect, decolonizing authority, it, it says that unless, you, unless your own knowledge and access to knowledge trumps my ancestors' knowledge, <laughs> my lived experience knowledge, and my education. You don't get to be more credible in this conversation than me. Mm. That doesn't mean you have nothing to contribute. That just means you don't get to be more credible than me. 
So right. what happens is because my spiritual work also involves ancestral altar work, very often what will happen is I'll be, this doesn't happen as much anymore, but it used to on my journey to get to this, this place of like, I know I'm right and y'all need to sit down somewhere. <laughs> is that my coach used to say to me when I would be like, I don't know, I'm just uncertain or, you know, not charging properly, just all the foolish things that we do when we feel like imposters. And my coach would be like, okay, close your eyes. And if you, if you are a black person listening to this, I want you to do this with me. So you too, do it now. Okay. Close your eyes. All right. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about the elders in your family that love and support you, that you feel safe with, that you feel enlarged by, that you feel have poured into you in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I want you to think about your guiding ancestors, or if you don't have language around guiding ancestors, think about the grandmother or the grandfather or the auntie that has always loved you in when they were here in this life alive right they may have gone on now into the eternal and um so you can only think of them now as ancestors think of them as as passed on so i want you to think of them so you got your you got your elders who love and support you in your mind you got your guiding ancestors in your mind and now multiply them by ten thousand and see them in a circle standing around you so all your guiding elders, your auntie, your mama, your cousins, your sisters, your brothers, your uncles, the ones that you have been safe with and held by, the same with your guiding ancestors, multiplied by 10,000 standing around you in a circle. Now choose one. The one who comes to your mind first is the one you need to choose because that is the person who you need to look in their eyes. Now imagine in your mind, looking into their eyes and telling them, say the words in your mind, I'm not good enough. <laughs> That's the end of the meditation. <laughs> because yeah, right. Like every time I would get to the part where I have to look up into my grandmother's eyes and say, I'm not good enough. I would just be like, I would never say that to her. Right. Never. Right. right. Never, ever. And there, there is something so profound about every time I feel like I'm not credible, I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, whatever enough. I, my coach would do this, and then it just became a part of my practice to envision my ancestors and my elders surrounding me in a circle and looking at them and telling them I'm not good enough. It would never happen. I would, I don't, I'm never even able to say it out loud, even in my mind, because I would never do it. Even, even if I still feel that way, lingering a little bit, I would never look in Emma Jane Baxley's face in this life or in the next and tell her I'm not good enough. It wouldn't happen. And so that's a major part of the work of really decolonizing my own mind is understanding that who authorizes me is not the same person that authorizes other people who are claiming to be more credible or claiming to have more of an authority or a say so over me. My grandmother knows something that you will never know because my grandmother grew up in the 1920s, Talladega, the daughter of sharecroppers, right? She never got a book deal. So of course there is knowledge that exists that you don't have access to because my grandmother and her mother and her mother and her mother never got a book deal. So just because you've not read what I'm saying in a book, maybe, and very often I am citing my sources from a text or from some other so-called credible, I'm doing quote fingers, so-called credible source. 
but I, but I cite that in addition to citing my grandmother, citing the elders, citing my ancestors, and, and I bring it alongside so-called credible scholarship because I understand that I'm saying my grandmother said this 50 years ago. Okay, but also Zora Neale Hurston said it in this published text. My, my auntie said this 25 years ago, but also I understand that Bell Hook said this last year in this essay, right? And so, so I'm understanding um, Black African ancestral language and intellect as very credible. And, the, and, and if you do not, if you cannot agree with that, you got to deal with the ethics, of, the ethics of why you're excluding that ancestral knowledge from what is credible. And, but you got to do it on your own time because I'm not going to do it with you. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah. I love it. I want to, I've heard you say before that, you know, like you're going to be free black, black freedom by any means necessary, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that same live, like there were so many nuggets for me in that, <laughs> but like in that same live, you said that like black folks freedom is not bound up in white yeah. people being free. That was the first time I'd ever heard that. Yeah. And I have quoted so many times and like, our freedom is bound up together, da, 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 da. But when mm-hmm. you said it, it hit me like a fucking truck because I completely understand it. And mm-hmm. I'm struggling with mm-hmm. the concept because I'm struggling with like this concept of us needing safe spaces. And I believe in that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to have our own spaces. And mm-hmm. thinking about the growth of us on a global level like what does it look Mm -hmm. like for us Mm -hmm. all to be free and so I'm wondering from you multiple things the first one though is like what does it look like for black people to be safe in this world Mm -hmm. but not only be in our bubble of like Mm -hmm. black safeness what does mm-hmm. the world need to look like? And that's a huge question. But like, what does the world mm-hmm. and white folks need to do in order for us to be in relationship in a revolutionary way? Yeah. Um, Thea Monier and I are doing some of that work. Um, so in my imagination, I'll, I'll only speak about my imagination of that. And I think it's much more complex than what I'm about to say. But this is where I believe my contribution to that is. Because when I say that my freedom is not bound up in white people's freedom, it's because I can't wait for white people to get free, to mm-hmm. be free. Mm-hmm. And, and if we decide that that's what we're doing, we're never going to be free. Right. We, we, my great-grandchildren will still be talking about this same stuff. But I don't, as, a, as an Afrofuturistic, womanist, retelling of the past, present, and future, my great, great grandchildren are not talking about this shit. Right. That's just on God, on baby, on Nipsey, <laughs> on mamas, on period. <laughs> period. <laughs> They're not talking about this. And um, so the way that I ensure that is that I don't put that limiting belief on myself or my nephews or my future children or their children that they got to wait for white people to heal in a harmonious way in order to be free. And so what I'm offering for black people specifically to do is to do your own imagination work in your own imagination and dreaming work. What does it look like for you to free, to be free, even if white people haven't healed their white supremacy yet. And that feels like this is a both and conversation because simultaneously 
while I'm doing this dream yourself free work with black women and women of color specifically, I'm also imagining what would it look like for white people to actually get some liberation from mm. white supremacist ideology. And mm-hmm. so the work that the Ammonia and I are doing with the free joy experience is my work is around um, freedom, right? The free people project. I'm really invested in freedom from the, from this, from the space of ease, play and dreaming and Thea's work with Marley IO is really centering joy and pleasure. And so we have been wondering um, for some time together and then begin to wonder out loud, what can we do to ensure that white mothers are healed and raising their white children in a way that doesn't continue to duplicate the harm that ensures that black mothers have to be in grief around the ways that their own children and lovers and husbands and wives and you know partners are experiencing on a daily basis as black and brown people in this society. And so that starts with ancestral healing for, right? I talked about ancestry now for black people. Mm-hmm. And, and so for white people, simultaneously, white people need to be doing some ancestral healing. And so, so a very basic way to enter this conversation, because of course the work is much deeper, but a very basic way to enter this conversation is to understand that you can't skip, white people often skip to the ancestors that they like <laughs> and, you know, that they don't feel ashamed of. Right. And they skip the ancestors that are currently harming this earth, this planet. They skip their racist fathers and grandfathers. They skip hundreds of years back to, you know, other continents. And they, they, they become immigrants immediately as mm. soon as you start talking about whiteness. I'm not, I'm not white. I'm Irish. I'm not <laughs> white. I'm, uh, my family's from Great Britain. I'm not white. I'm, okay, that's nice. But in order to be in this country, you benefit from proximity to whiteness and also gave up a great deal of your culture in order to exist. I live in Harlem. I live near, you know, you've heard me say this on social media. So that's what the sirens are happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, near, I live near a hospital. It's not because it's Harlem. It's because I live near a hospital. But so they, so they don't want to process um, that you gave up portions of your culture in order to have access to whiteness. And you can't decide to take it off when it's, when it's um, a, a benefit, when it will benefit you, right? Like, like now I'm, now I'm Irish American, but in general, on a daily day basis, I exist as a white American and that's just reality. And so that ancestral healing, really the very basic entrance of it looks like white people reconciling their relationship with their ancestors. And, and they have to do that. They cannot decide, well, that was so long ago. It wasn't. We currently still live in a cis heteropatriarchal white supremacist society. So it was not that long ago. White right. supremacy is still, it still, still has a deep, firm stronghold on the globe. So you mm-hmm. cannot decide that your ancestors um, created this system and institution of white supremacy and you don't benefit from it when we still sitting here up in it. <laughs> like, right, right. I think I, I think it was Nikki Black, a girlfriend of mine. I think Nikki Black said this. How is it that white people always want to want to be like, 
I'm not being impacted by white supremacy. I'm not complicit. I'm not participating. When when black people sitting over here processing white supremacy all day, every day, it's, <laughs> it's, it can't be both. It can't like it just cannot be both. Right. It is literally we are experiencing the ramifications and the grief of white supremacy because you're over there still benefiting and participating and complicit in white supremacy. And so it it doesn't have to even be an intentional thing. Your intention doesn't change the impact. The reality is it has to be intentional that you reject that, that you begin to heal that and that you do that work. And so it is a, it is a both and for me, honestly, it's a, we're not, we are not, we do not have to wait for white people to do that ancestral healing work. While simultaneously, because we would desire to live in a world where white white people were like as a global collective, you know, humanity, you know, we can all just get along for, you know, lack of better words. <laughs> you know, of course, of course, that's what we want. But in the meantime, white people have to do their ancestral healing work. And that is just the very basic beginning of it until you acknowledge that. And here's the thing. And this is what Thea and I have been saying for some time now. We're Black people are not particularly black healers in this conversation. We're not asking white people to do something that we don't do on a daily basis. Right. When I talk about my grandmother, who is in the eternal now, I don't just talk about her as this ethereal, perfect angel. There are times when I have to reconcile that my grandmother did some things that were wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I remember this one time my cousin, um, and, and upheld patriarchy, you know, as a result of I know the story, I know the why, but the intention doesn't change the impact on my life. Right. My my guy cousin, me and my cousins used to stay down at my grandma's house all the time. And it was usually like one of us or one or two, you know, at the least. And so this particular night I was staying down there, my cousin, I'm gonna say his name because he's ashy for this, but <laughs> me and my cousin Robert were staying down. And um, he's just like two years older than me. And at my grandma's house, there are several bedrooms and you, when you decided you were staying or when it, you were going to stay down there, you would go make up whichever bed you were going to sleep in. You go change the sheets, get it ready for you to sleep in it. So I had decided that I was going to sleep in the bedroom right next to the living room, which is the optimal bedroom to stay in because <laughs> you can watch TV and, you know, it's just the bed that you want to get, get. But I went, I changed the sheet, I made up the bed, I got my little, you know, I go to sleep early, so I got the bed, you know, the covers back, I'm about to get in the bed, <laughs> I come out to the bathroom, and this little ashy boy is in my bed, and I'm like, no, Rocky, this is not right, you need to get up, this is not fair, I made this bed up for me, these are the house rules, you know this, and my grandma comes in the room, he won't get up though, so I'm like, you know, grandma, because I am a snitch, I did tell on him, I said, <laughs> grandma, he won't get up, my grandmother comes in the room, and she's like, oh, well, you know, you could just make up the bed right over my room. And I'm like, but why? That's not the house rules. I made up this bed. And she's like, just go ahead as she's walking me to the stairs to go make up that bedroom. So I'm, I'm a heated, heated. <laughs> and my feelings are hurt. And I'm just so upset because I see my grandmother as a very womanist, like, you know, she didn't raise all these black women. She got all these black granddaughters. I've seen her be very powerful and empowered. She owned her house and re- let, refused to let this man have to put his name on her house just so that she could get a loan as a black woman in the, you know, at this time frame mm-hmm. in Sandusky, Ohio. I saw her as such an empowered woman. And that was so disappointing to me that she was choosing to baby him and, and choosing to like let his being a boy be the reason that he didn't have to do something and I had to do it. And so the next day I got up, 
I didn't even, this was disrespectful for the record, but I didn't, I didn't even speak to her. I left for school. I get to her house and I think about it actually throughout the day when I'm at school, I get to her house after school and I say, grandma, my feelings were really hurt this morning by the way that you um, handled that situation with Robert yesterday. I think that you were wrong and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It wasn't disrespectful for me to say this. It was disrespectful that I didn't speak to my grandmother when I walked out the house. But I said, I think that you were wrong and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I really feel like you need to fix that because you created a story for him. This is 16-year-old Ebony G. I said, I really want to fix that because I feel like you created a story for him that now anytime we stay down here together, I can make up his bed and my bed. And that's just what it is. And that's not right. And she didn't really say anything. She was just like, you know, listening to me. And then when he came home from wrestling practice, she said to him, that was wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And you owe your cousin an apology. And so I I bring up that whole story just to say, when I talk about my grandmother, I don't just talk about her as the perfect womanist. I talk Mm -hmm. about the times when my grandmother upheld patriarchy in our family with the way that she did the boys very different a lot of times than the way that she did us. Right. I talk about other things that are very personal to our family that my grandmother, um, we never had verbal conversations about it, but she was not the perfect Christian all the time. (laughs) She wasn't the perfect, you know, all the levels of things. Right. And so what, what that is the proof of is that as a black woman who is a part of a hierarchy where you don't, where the institution doesn't particularly want you to talk about the head of the hierarchy in that way. Right. We're still willing to acknowledge like grandma was ashy sometimes. <laughs> I love her. She's my bestie. She's my guiding ancestor. I have deep reverence and respect for her, but that doesn't change the fact that grandma did some things. She taught us some things that was wrong. She taught us some things that was not right. I can fully understand where her mindset was and where she got that from, but her intention doesn't change the impact that it had on our family. And so we have to reconcile that grandma was wrong in order for us to not pass this foolishness on to my little cousins that are now having to process those same things. And so I feel like if Black people can, without therapists and access to, you know, mental health, in the ways that other groups of people tend to have access to mental health and into that, um, to that healing work. If black people can be out here reconciling our ancestors, you definitely need to sit up here and reconcile what your ancestors did, the benefits and the consequences of what they created and what they left you. And if you can't, if you are not willing to do that, then maybe you're just not, a, maybe you are just not a part of the better, more equitable and just society that we're co-creating together. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you got to go. <laughs> but you got to do that work for yourself because over here we going to be free period <laughs> <laughs> so you do so much work around dreaming yourself free and that like i have quoted you so many times saying that just that little phrase um but can you for the listeners like can you talk about what that looks like what that means in practice yeah, in practice. I I very briefly have a story of um, how I came to dreaming as my resistance work, as my liberation work. And it is that I was listening to Patrice Con Colors when they call you a terrorist mm-hmm. and having the revelation that she is the artist. And that was blowing my mind. I didn't know that about her. I know Patrice Con Colors as one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. 
I know about so much of her movement justice work, her organizing. I didn't know that she was an artist. And that bothered me because it made me start thinking when people describe me and talk about me, do they talk about my resistance work first? Or do they know? Um, I have been friends with one of my close girlfriends. We have been friends for a minute. And she, and she, um, I invited her last year to this um, thing that I did at the public theater in, the, in um, New York City in Manhattan, which is, which is a little bit of a big deal. Um, <laughs> it's where Hamilton started before, right before it went to Broadway. It's mm-hmm. where um, In the Heights started. It's where um, um, For Colored Girls was there before it went to Broadway. Oh so it's a historic, like the public theater is a thing. Mm-hmm. And so when she, when I invited her to this thing that I was doing at the public theater, she was like, why didn't I know this about you? And I was like, isn't that scary? Isn't that scary that what we know about each other is our anti-racism education? And that's the majority of, like, because that's so front-facing. That's the majority. Right. Because we have to do, like, we have to do that. We got, we have to do that. Or we feel like we have to do that or we won't be able to survive. Like, we got to teach white people how to stop being racist, how to stop being racist, how to relax, how to chill, how to heal, or we won't survive. And so we don't even get to be creatives. You know, mm. I write plays mm. and poetry and books and and I'm a hip hop womanist and I care about hip hop lyrics more than I care about talking about this other stuff that I have to talk about on the day. <laughs> and I love, you know, just thinking about all the other things that I love and enjoy that I never get access to because I just don't have the time. And even if I found the time, I just don't have the energy because mm. white supremacy is constantly draining me. And so I was thinking about those things and I thought, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that to be my story. I started asking some of my faves across industries, if you could be doing anything, like I'm talking about successful black women, like making good money, um, you know, being well recognized and acknowledged. If you could be doing anything in your wildest imagination, would you be doing this? And all of them said, hell no. <laughs> hell no. Across industry. This isn't just even anti-racism work. This is across industries. Hell no. Right. I got here because this was limited. I got here because this was my access. here because I had to create this program or da 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 da, da whatever, right? So, yeah. so much of what, what Black women were telling me as was my own experience as well is that I got to this place in my work even though I had become successful doing this I got to this place in my work because I had to mm-hmm. and I wondered dang are any of us like dreaming mm-hmm. are any of us living into what our inner child wanted us to be doing I guarantee you my inner child did not want me to be talking about racism. (laughs) My inner child, little Ebony Janice did not imagine me growing up to be getting racist trolls out of my DMs. (laughs) Little Ebony Janice never imagined that, you know? Right. And so that was the beginning of Dream Yourself Free because I thought, what if what if we divested from our our purpose as resistance work and invested in our purpose as 
figuring out what our actual dreams are. And so as I started doing that work, I realized there was so much um, grief around that. Women would get coming to my workshops just talking about dreaming and, mm. and be sobbing, you know, because for all kinds of reasons, one of the most common reasons is because it, it was like trying to dream feels inaccessible. I can't even, I understand what you're saying, but I can't even think about it. It feels unreal. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It's very triggering. I can't even go there because it doesn't feel like a reality. And so you got, you got these brilliant Black women out here struggling to even think about if I could create an ideal world. That's, I can't even finish that sentence because it, felt, it feels so, and it felt so far from a possibility that it just felt like fantasy more than something that was possible. And so I started this six-month intensive because I, I recognized that we can't jump right into dreaming. We got to do all this healing work to get to dreaming eventually. And so what is the healing work? So this intergenerational healing, um, we have somebody facilitating that conversation. We have somebody facilitating a conversation about what creating daily rituals to sustain us in this healing work looks like. We have somebody facilitating a conversation around how to use both our spirituality and our religion as liberative work. So mm-hmm. like, how do we tap into our sacred text, et cetera, et cetera, to create liberation in our society and in, in the world. Um, we have somebody having a conversation on pleasure as our actual right, that you have the right to pleasure, which mm-hmm. feels which feels like what when you start talking <laughs> about pleasure, in, you know, for Black women. Right. We have somebody leading a workshop on shifting our success and money blueprints because you can you can ask uh, you can ask a gang of black women what like okay let's imagine that you can make more money what kind of money would you want to make and they're gonna say something ridiculous like <laughs> usually not, usually not even comparable to their capacity it's gonna be something they will lowball themselves every time mm. nine times out of ten so then after they lowball themselves you let them stick with that number and then you ask them what would you do with that money. And they take that little bit of money they just asked for and they done gave it to their mama's mortgage <laughs> to taking care of their nieces and nephews to like, they done gave the money away to the community. And so, okay, so now you done gave that away. Now what you got? What right. do you have for you? What did you leave for you? So shifting our success and money blueprints means that we're doing the actual intentional work to figure out where did we get this idea from about ourselves and our money and our resources and what we deserve and what we're worthy of. And then simultaneously, how do we create a new story around being well for ourselves and well for our community? The last, the last thing is, as we get into now, into actual dreaming in this intensive, in the six-month intensive, is we're getting actual creative tools. So tapping into the creative, tapping into the sacral chakra and doing actual healing work around the creative, around like literally doing the work to write out, pour out, dance out our dreams so that we can t- come back to the end of this intensive and then start a real conversation about dreaming for real, for mm. real. So if I were going to be reimagining my career at 28 or 34 or 47 or 50, um, or 70, right? Like as long as you got breath, you still got time to shift, you know, something. Right, right. If I were going to be reimagining that, I understand that I got a lifetime worth of story that I got to heal through. I need some accountability. I need some tools. I need some resources. I need some consistency. I need um, really, really accountability and community. And then I can, and then I can finally start to think, who would I be? What would I really do in um, 
So yeah, dreaming yourself free ultimately came from this idea. Like I said, my resistance work, resistance cannot be my work. Dreaming has to be, dreaming has to be a part of the conversation about how I'm going to get to liberation. I love that. So to wrap up here, um, what are you dreaming of right now? Oh, I'm dreaming of love. (laughs) I am. I'm dreaming of love. And um, I, I said this recently, and this is so real for me because that really is what just came up for me. And that's really what I'm dreaming of. I'm dreaming of love. I'm dreaming of loving a, a Black man just down to his socks. <laughs> and this is, this is liberation conversation as well because I was talking about this man that I was dating last year sometime out of the country, um, which, is, which actually matters too, but that might be a podcast episode for another day. Because I also was talking about how something about him not being Black American, a Black American man, opened up a certain vulnerability for our relationship that I think has been interesting within side of my own, my relationships with Black American men in general, Um, particularly because slavery, (laughs) you know, so we have story Um, that isn't to throw away black American men because I'm probably gonna end up marrying an ashy black black, black <laughs> I love him. Um but this man was black British and has a different story around masculinity than what this black American story is. So there was something there. But I was thinking about him specifically because um though he's not my beloved, um I I, I appreciated him very much for our time together because he offered me so much softness mm. that I had, that I felt like I had not either ever experienced or had been a very long time since I experienced that kind of softness. Mm. And um, there are these tweets going around lately that basically just say black women deserve to be spoiled. So, yeah. so it's like this theme of like black women deserve to be spoiled, spoil black woman a day. Buy a black woman a BMW today. Um, send a black woman a hundred thousand dollars today. Like yes, yes, that absolutely. kind of like yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> and um, but I, I bring that into this, you know, into this moment because really that's what I feel like is there's some freedom in that, and being so well loved and spoiled by a black man, um, because. Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes wrote a book called, I'm looking at my bookshelf to see if it's over there, um, <laughs> wrote a book called Too Heavy a Yoke, some, some, The Burden of a Strong Black Woman. Um, that's what it's called, but I'm trying to think of the exact book title right now, but it's Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes. And basically what she is saying is that the story of the strong black woman, No Spaces, is in stark contrast to the black woman that happens to be strong. But for mm. so many of us, for so many years, we have been called a strong black woman and, and given no space to be vulnerable and soft and, um, and to be emotional mm. and to not have to be so responsible for everything and for everyone and for every movement and for every, 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 every. 
And so to be in this particular, you know, relationship at this time, to be with this man who um, allowed me to be very soft and who um, held me in a very, I'm not even talking about physically, I mean, his capacity to hold me very gently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was telling a story one day, and this is all liberation. I was telling a story, I was telling a story recently to a girlfriend of mine about, I remember our first um, argument, actually. It wasn't an argument, but our first, like, I felt like, whoo, my feelings is hurt right now. <laughs> so what are we going to do? And I said, um, I was going to shut down, but I'm too grown to be shutting down in relationships. So I text him and I said, what you said earlier really hurt me and it made me feel rejected. Mm. And I just needed to say that to you because I was about to be over here in my feelings. Right. And he texted me back and this, and this man said to me, I'm sorry that I triggered you and commenced to take responsibility for what he said. And even though what he said that wasn't his intentional. He never minimized my feelings. Mm. And I was just like, where did he do that at? Where did he do that? <laughs> this is amazing. And so I, I'm, I'm harping on this particular situation because of the softness and the, and the scene and the beauty of um, Black people loving and caring for each other tenderly and intentionally and gently. And that's what I'm dreaming about. So outside of that experience, I'm, I'm bringing in the very beautiful things of, of like past relationships. Cause I don't yeah. think, I don't I try not to talk about the negative things. So I try to think of like, what was good in that relationship that I would like to see again. And um, so I think about that and I just think about like, what would it be like if I could just be soft all the time? If I didn't have to march to Selma, <laughs> you know, if I didn't have to be responsible for me and us three, you know, like, yeah, what would, it, what would it be like? And that is, I have a, I have a very deep visualization practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, this all feels like liberation talk to me. So I want to go here for a second. Please. I, I have this, um, I, I work now, my visualization practice is very deep but I'm now working with somebody that I do these morning meditation visualizations with. Her name is Christina Jones. It's cheat code Chrissy on um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she is the truth. My <laughs> goodness. There are times that she takes me into scenarios that I just be like, <laughs> I was thinking about that ma'am. <laughs> but, um, but I was recently doing this uh, visualization work with her around calling my beloved to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm thinking about, I'm dreaming about my beloved coming. And in this visualization, I, I will skip to the point that I'm trying to get to. In, the, in this visualization, at some point, I'm about to get in the bed at the end of the night with him. It ain't even like, it's not even sexual. I'm just getting in the bed. We, we're living together. This is my beloved and my husband, very likely. We live together and, we, and I get in the bed. And my, my side of the bed is the other side of the bed. It's not closest to the door. So, which means I have to, I have to either walk around the bed to get into the bed or I have to climb over him to get into the bed. And in my visualization, I decided that our relationship rule is that I always climb over him to get into the bed because, <laughs> because it's kind of hard to be mad at somebody that you climb over to get into the bed with that night. 
Like I just saw this in my mind, like every night I climb over him to get into the bed. And if I, and it's our relationship rule to the point that if I ever don't climb over him, he has the right to tell me, get out the bed, (laughs) go back around the bed and get in the bed the right way. And, and that is a part of the way that we maintain our playfulness and our softness. And so I really am just thinking about like, who would you be, who would we be as black women if we were spoiled? Yeah. If people treated us so gently and like, um, and softly, and that isn't to undermine our strength because we can also be strong and soft. We can right. also be, you know, brilliant and, you know, feminine. We can also be, um, we can also exist in, in our divine masculinity and also still be seen as like worthy of, you know, of being held. And, you know, and so I'm dreaming of that deeply. I'm calling that to me. Because I believe that beautiful black love is going to, beautiful black love makes me better. Mm. And beautiful black love is going to impact my work in a way that we don't even know yet. Like, this is, this is me soft as, you know, just dreaming of it in the quantum. Yeah. But wait till y'all see me in love. Y'all gonna be like, <laughs> y'all gonna be in my timeline like, what is it about her that's getting on my nerves today? <laughs> oh, she's in love and somebody loving her too good. I got it. I see what is going on here. I love that. Oh my God, I love that. You gonna have me dreaming about it. Yes, girl. <laughs> Dreams, honey. <laughs> I'm here for that. I love that. Like, I never, I feel like that's what I find so profound about you is that you put in language thinking thoughts that I've had that I didn't have language mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. you know, like feelings. Cause for me, it's, it's Ooh. usually I'm intuitively feeling this and like, mm-hmm. I don't have the language for it yet, but that's huge because I've been dreaming about what my life looks like with more pleasure, yeah. more joy, more yes. playfulness. Good. And so it's interesting too, that idea and me and my partner have had multiple conversations about like softness and how to bring mm-hmm. more softness into our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard when you're dealing with traumatized people. Like it is difficult. Um, yeah. But that's a. I'm going to continue to dream on that. Continue yeah, yeah, to dream yeah. on that. I think. I think that that's a part of a conversation around liberation. Period. Though, because what um, what Baby Suge said in the clearing in the book Beloved by Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. she she calls the she calls the men. The, ch- the women and the children and um she calls everybody but it is very binary the way that she calls it but she calls the men and the women and children and she says to the men to laugh the women to cry the children to dance and mm-hmm. then she says now the children cry the women laugh the men dance then the men were crying and the women were dancing and the children were laughing and everybody was doing it until everybody was just laid out, you know, exhausted from all the laughing, dancing, and crying. And once they finally calmed down, she looked at them and she said, now remember, the only grace you can have is the grace you can imagine. Mm. And so when I think about, um, particularly for Black women, around this conversation around softness and ease and pleasure and being spoiled and being deeply loved and held, by our partners, whoever they may be, it's the imagination will take us there because th- think of it this way. 
whatever you have imagined, you have felt it. If you've really gone there, mm-hmm. you've felt it. So I'm starting to smile. Your, you know, your guests can't see me or your <laughs> listeners can't see me, but I'm starting to smile because when I think about this bedroom that I've envisioned where me and my beloved spend time together before we go to sleep and, you know, whatever. And, um, and the fact that I cannot even get in my own bed without climbing over this grown man, <laughs> it tickles me. It, and, I, and the way that I feel giggly and possible mm. and, and loved is like, I felt it now. So now what, hap- what that means is that if I am in a situation that doesn't feel like that, I know that that feeling is possible. Mm. It's, it's whatever, the only grace you can have is the grace you can imagine. And the grace you can imagine is real grace. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't, you couldn't think it. Your mind can't conceive something that is not possible. Period. So if you could think it, that's possible. So if I've imagined this giggly, soft, held feeling, I have to have it now. Mm. That, that feels so good to me. I, I, I could use the language of the, of the quantum, but that feels so good to me that you got to match that. And now I'm calling that to me. I'm calling that feeling to me because that's real. So I'm, all that to say like that is liberation work to me because it's like, as we take the time to imagine what freedom looks like for us and to dream about what, you know, actual freedom and, and liberation looks like for us. For me, it, it, it definitely doesn't involve me talking about um, racism. It, de- it, it, it usually is me like with my lover Maybe we got some little nappy-headed children. (laughs) We are well taken care of. I wear long dresses and sit on my porch and drink sweet tea because I'm a Southern belle at my my core. (laughs) Um, We travel. Notice that none of this has anything to do with white supremacy, has anything to do with, you know, um, capitalist systems, has anything to do with, it's just, it's just, can I just love my man and mind my business? You know, like, <laughs> is, that, is that possible? And if that were possible, what would that look like for us? And so thinking about those possibilities and then going deeper and deeper into them by maybe, maybe pulling in different scenarios. In this scenario with, with my beloved's family, this is how we exist. Um, thinking about the places where we both have been traumatized or experienced trauma in the past, thinking about those scenarios and imagining both of us healed, what does that look like? Because if we could see ourselves healed, then there very possibly is answers inside of that vision, inside of that dream for how we get there. So maybe I have experienced some loss and or rejection. And so that grief kind of comes up for me inside of relationships. And as I imagine myself healed inside of this relationship with my beloved, I go, I take that scenario and I just, I can make it just very easy. I can make it more difficult for myself, but just very easy for people listening. I would say, um, my beloved, I'm healed today. I would say that to him. Mm. Listen to my voice. I guess, you know, talking to my beloved. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say, my beloved, I'm healed today. 
and I hear him saying, what happened? And then I just start telling him the story. But it's my, I'm allowing my imagination to take me there. Mm. But I'm consciously, even though that's a subconscious act of allowing that to go, I'm consciously paying attention to what I'm saying or what's happening in my body or what he's saying, what's happening in his body. And usually there's something there. I'm healed today. What, ha- what happened? I just decided to surrender. Surrender what? I just don't want to hold on to the stories about anymore. And I'm, you know, thinking about real scenarios. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to let it go? I love you so much that I'd rather be with you than right. Mm. What does that mean to you? Right? I just let the whole conversation just play out. And if I come to myself then after that conversation, I think, oh, the fact that those particular relationships came up in my mind just naturally, maybe that's something that I need to do some work around. Maybe yeah. I'll take that to therapy. Maybe I'll journal about that more. Maybe I just need to think about that. Maybe I need to talk out loud to that. Maybe I need to surrender some of that stuff in an actual conversation or exchange, whatever, whatever. But, it's, but the answers are, are there, it's, you know, definitely subconsciously there. And, but we just don't give ourselves enough space to, to dream and to imagine. So yeah, that's my in conclusion. The only grace you can have is the grace you can imagine. That's Baby Shoulds from Beloved. I love that. Oh, that was the perfect way to like start wrapping this up. Um, just the last question that I ask all my guests is what's lighting up right now? Um, what's lighting me up right now is I have a friend who refuses to not let me be a bad bitch. Chakras aligned. <laughs> so she sends me these ridiculous dresses, like screenshots these dresses to me, and she'll be like, buy this dress. She won't tell me how much the dress costs because I can be kind of frugal. She'll just be like, you got to buy this dress. This is going to make you, you will be a bad bitch in this dress. So I, so once we finally agree that I'm getting the dress, then I find out how much the dress costs. <laughs> but it's lighting me up because I have en- enrolled my friends into the idea of this life that I'm creating for myself. And some of that looks like me being a bad bitch, you know, wherever, yes. wherever. Mm-hmm. And so she feels so invested in that idea that she's like, I'm team. Make sure you looking like it all the time. I love it. And it feels, it's, it's not, it isn't about the dresses. It's really about the fact that I have girlfriends who are like, this is my part in this project. You know, this is my part in this moment. This is my part in this dream. And, um, that is a love language of mine for my friends, for me to tell people something that I'm believing God for and for people to get on board. Like it's already true. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sisterhood is good. It's yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. It's essential. Well, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your work. I am Ebony Janice. That's E B O N Y J A N I C E. Looks like Janice, but it's Janice. And I am there pretty much everywhere on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, that's my website, ebonygenese.com or thefreepeopleproject.com, which will take you to, to the same place. And um, Facebook is ebonygenese of thefreepeopleproject.com. So yeah, just look up Ebony Janice and you'll find me everywhere. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
Now, didn't I tell y'all that was going to be a bomb-ass episode? After that conversation with Ebony Janice, I just felt so freaking nourished. And I hope that you feel super nourished after listening to it. I highly, highly, highly recommend diving into her work, supporting her, because I believe that she's one of these people that is really changing the consciousness and moving our movements forward. Um, So support her, please. And um, that's it. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking to Elisa Vitti. She is a best-selling author um, of Woman Code and In the Flow. And so we're going to be talking all about female hormones and women's health. And um, it's going to be damn good because honestly, the stuff that I've learned from her books has completely changed my life. Um, So it's definitely not an episode you want to miss. It's going to be good. It's going to be super good. But anyway, that's all for our first episode together. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super, super grateful. Um, Please subscribe. Please rate. Please share the episode because that's how this thing is going to grow. So I'm really just grateful that you're here. I'm grateful for all the support. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye.